0: Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the
1: Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation.
2: Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for June 17th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. On this week's edition, we travel through Southeast Arkansas to hear from some farmers facing heavy losses after last week's floods. We also get an update on the Mississippi River bridge closure at Memphis and what it means for the agriculture supply chain. We also hear what farmers and ranchers can do to avoid overheating and heat stress this summer. First, Steve Powell spent a day in Southeast Arkansas visiting with farmers who have been hit hard by the heavy rain and flooding in the area last week. They shared their stories and the difficult decisions and work that lies ahead.
1: The financial damage from last week's flooding in South Arkansas is expected to run into the hundreds of millions. This week, as the water is slowly receding, we revisited some of the hardest hit areas to see what farmers are finding and what their plans are to limit their losses. As they survey their farms, what they see is hard to take. Bradley Day is a young farmer who recently came back to Deshay County to join his father in the family business. They grow corn, beans, and right now, he's in his truck surveying
3: what was a cotton field. It's, it's hard to ride around and, and look at all of this right now. Um, it, just, it makes you sick in your stomach. Even
1: after a week of no rain, some water still stubbornly sits in the fields. What isn't water is mud, thick, boot-sucking
3: mud, that is even worse. Even worse. Because, I mean, we knew it was gonna look like this, but actually seeing it, it's, you know. Yeah. Once you see the leaves like this, uh, there's, there's just nothing left. And uh, it stays underwater that long and rots, it, just, it puts off a horrible stench, and, and you can smell it everywhere you go. We lost uh, around 1,700 acres of soybeans, um, 600 of cotton, 500 of corn. Uh, Right now, you know, we we have a lot of these, the top end of the field that's that's still in great shape um, and bottom half's not. It's way too late to replant a cotton, of course. So we'll go back in uh, as soon as we can get in the field um, and we'll just have to plant late beans on the bottom end of our cotton. The older guys we talked to, they, they haven't seen anything like this since the 27 foot. Um, mean Right here in this particular spot, we got over 22 inches of rain in less than two days. Uh, and around 17 inches in just a matter of hours, uh, in less than a day. Um, nobody's seen anything like it. It's a, it's a disaster. Every year we have problems. And but, but no, nothing like this. Uh, so we, we had everything laid by um, except our cotton um, and, and we were close on it. And uh, we had a beautiful crop and um, fi- finally getting some good prices. And uh, it just, uh, it, it's real disheartening because I mean, we had it made this year and, and now we have to start over.
1: About an hour south in Chico County, Philip Weatherly is looking at ponds, ponds that used to be his soybeans.
4: We're just uh, two miles from Beth River, uh, close to the Louisiana state line. And uh, Belf River has came out and flooded it, and it cannot drain. These are soybeans that were planted roughly three weeks ago. And uh, then we got the rain on Thursday, last Thursday. And uh, they were up four inches tall, six inches tall. And uh, then as you can see there, they're completely destroyed. You've got some that are completely dead. Some that are, we don't know how they're gonna end up. We don't know what the yield potential is gonna be on that whole, that whole field is flooded all the way up to the top of it. Even where you see the green beans, but we don't know what the yield potential is going to be or if they're even going to survive. It's going to have to, the water is going to have to go down and then dry up before you can plant. So we're looking at July the 1st, it's close by time you can be able to plant. We need some help out of the, the Corps of Engineers or anyone that can do a study to, to tell us. Is there anything we can do? I mean, uh, we don't know. I know that a lot of drainage districts are cleaning ditches and, and and bringing water quicker to the to the tributaries. But if we do it in Arkansas and then it does not cross the state line, it does not happen in Louisiana, which we have a lot of problem with but the way their uh, drainage districts are set up. That. We can get it to the state line, but we can't get to go any further. You see this and uh, you you have potential to, to make a good crop. You have a, everything going and looking good. And then one day, everything changes.
1: All over, the stories vary slightly, but far too many have the same unhappy ending. It's certainly true at Nielsen Crow's farm near Winchester in Drew County
5: the water was at one time to right here on these. Uh, And right there, you know, they're they're dead. This water was here last Tuesday. So, um, and actually it was deeper it was back here. So this is a week later and this is how much we still have and still got good ways to go. Even if this goes down, you know, we've never been through this, I, I don't know how? Because we have to irrigate, we have to plant. You know, these these rows are GPS. We've got them all on our in our computers, and the tractors run the same tracks all the time. So we really can't offset and go to the centers because then our stuff doesn't match up. We don't, and I don't know how we're going to plant down this top and how it's going to work. It's, it's just all new territory for us. I've lost about 45% of my bean crop, it, it really takes the run of it. Beans can't handle, when, when, when the water goes over the top of beans, that's, that's pretty much the end of it. If it doesn't get off in 8 to 12 hours, they're, they're dead. You know, right to our right here, we've got beans that uh, I was through with. I bet all I had left in them was a fungicide treatment, uh, scout them for insects, uh, and keeping the water on them. It's 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 the bad side of farming. Uh, you just can't control this. Uh, it's uh, I've been through it. I've been through this several times. You know, water situations several times, but never this bad. Never. Uh, it's you know generally it'll come up in two or three days. It'll go down. You may have to plant. 40 acres, 50 acres over, you know, one field, but not when you're dealing with thousands of acres. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do and if we need to try to replant to recoup some bushels that we have booked uh, to, because to, our contracts, you know, we had high prices. We've got lots of uh, contracts trying to take advantage of the high prices and we booked some of them at a certain price at $12. Well, uh, up until two days ago, they were right at 1480. And so, if you can't fulfill that contract, you owe the difference. And that's a nightmare, especially if you've got, uh, you know, 100,000 bushels booked. It was too good to be true scenario. You didn't really want to talk about it because how good it looked, because you didn't want to jinx anything. And it happened anyway.
1: <laughs> Long time growers around here are built and bred to handle adversity. But there is concern that this year, this time may be too much for the next generation of farmers.
4: It also makes it disheartening for any young farmer to come into it because they see all this happening and uh, the risk that they have, if they don't have a great potential, they are taking a lot of risk. And uh, it's hard to get new
3: farmers to come in there. I have a friend that, that farms uh, East of here, and um, it's his first year farming, and lost his total whole crop. And uh, it's tough, you know, to to go into your first year in in this kind of shape. Um, And I I don't know if a lot of these guys are gonna be able to pull out out of it or not.
1: Clearly, there are uncomfortable decisions ahead, mostly about choosing the best options from terrible choices. Better days, though, are surely ahead. But for now, farmers like Bradley, Philip, and Nilsson
2: will settle for one more dry day tomorrow. Next up, Jason Brown talks to Mark Lambert, Arkansas Farm Bureau's Director of Commodity Activities and Economics, about the Mississippi River Bridge closure at Memphis and what it could mean for consumers and for farmers as the growing season continues.
6: Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast. I'm Jason Brown, and today we're joined by Mark Lambert, Ag Economist here at Arkansas Farm Bureau. Mark, just a couple weeks ago, you joined us to give an assessment of the river bridge situation and potential impacts on agriculture. Since we talked last, a few things have happened, and I've I've done my best here to make a list. Phase one of the repairs are complete. Phase two of the repairs have begun. Uh, We've experienced historic flooding in Arkansas, Specifically impacting the Mississippi River Delta, uh, the state may see replants uh, or or an increase in inputs demand uh, as a result of that flooding. And we're a little bit further into the growing season. I think it was May when we when we talked last. So here we are on June seventeenth, and I would like to just um, take a few minutes to kind of talk about what's new, what what has developed on the uh, on the. Closure of the Mississippi River Bridge, how that may or may impact agriculture here in Arkansas, and so on. So, thanks for joining us.
7: Thanks for having me, Jason.
6: Yeah, so let's let's just jump right into it. So, what can you share? So, we mentioned phase one repairs are complete. What can you share with us about uh, phase two repairs?
7: So, phase two, uh, to the best of my knowledge, phase two, it will, um, it it is pretty much. Um, taking two two pieces of steel um having and then having to remove that support beam uh securing everything down tying everything down and removing everything off that off that beam to Mm -hmm. uh, replace it and have a more permanent uh fix rather than a patch like in phase one
6: yeah and phase one was really i guess to secure that bridge so that heavier equipment or, or a a bigger uh, repair project could, could take part in phase two. Is that right?
7: Right. Yeah. Fa- phase one was pretty much to secure everything. And then phase two, um, Tennessee Department of Transportation kind of made a model of what's going on. What they're going to do is pretty much take that beam out and replace it and re- put everything, everything, connect everything back and open the bridge,
6: hopefully. Okay, good. Yeah, all right. Well, so let's talk about the supply chain then. Um, since obviously we we know that phase two is underway, but obviously not complete, uh, uh, you know, car vehicle traffic is not back open across the bridge. Do we see any potent, potential supply chain issues, uh, specifically within agriculture, uh, developing over the summer, or maybe even have developed since the last time we talked?
7: So... Um- I guess you could kind of start with supply chain just from a consumer demand um, or a consumer demand uh, side and all the way to the agricultural side. Um, you're talking about Memphis, where Memphis is a – it has five major railways going into Memphis, has a, a marine port, and then it has one of the largest cargo um, airports in, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you have one of the largest uh, shipping – uh, cargo, I guess shipping companies there, FedEx Freight mm-hmm. and FedEx is is out of Memphis, and then you have another major artery, uh, Interstate Forty, that stretches all the way across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, fifty five thousand cars travel travel through Memphis every single day, um, and every single one of those is rerouted now. Um, wow. looking looking at the supply chain, um, we've been hearing that out on the west coast, the ports of uh, Los Angeles. Uh, San Diego, those those ports, they're really backing up. Seattle, Portland, all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're backing up. They're sh- shipping containers um, coming pretty much from China uh, coming over, and that's the they're backing up and causing a backlog of uh, of demand everywhere. So, um, starting at the West Coast, coming into the heart of the country, in, into that Memphis area, uh, there's there's a slowdown in every single thing.
6: Yeah, I think uh, I ordered something earlier in the week with 2 days shipping, and it won't be here until uh, tomorrow, I think. So starting to see that on the consumer side for sure. Have we experienced – so thinking about moving from supply chain and thinking about uh, more of the crop marketing piece, um, have we experienced a change in basis due to the river closure or, or are we seeing pretty standard stuff there?
7: Um, most of the basis along, along the river, um, most of our, I guess, ag, our commodities here in Arkansas, they're pretty much based on all the ports are on the Arkansas side Mm, of the river. Um, so, you know, some, I looked at basis this morning, uh, the base is starting to go up. I think it was 28 cents there in West Memphis at Mm -hmm. CGB. Um, but you know, as we get, as we progress through the growing season, say August one, we should start seeing those harvest time basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting in New Orleans, they should see a, a zero to a po- positive, I guess, nickel basis, and then it starts trickling up from there, all the way to seeing where where they need to go. Or you could also see a dollar fifty basis there at New Orleans, and bring it on all the way to uh, the heart of the country throughout the Mississippi River. Um, for that export market, depending on how much they need or how much, well, what the demand and the exports are.
6: Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So, right now, what we're seeing sounds like pretty standard stuff. No, no, no extreme cases based on the river bridge. Right. Okay. Well, when it comes to the bridge closure, um, is there anything specifically, I guess we're, again, we're talking about more about the bridge than the river. Is there anything specifically that growers should? Uh, keep an eye out on uh, throughout the summer we we i guess we're a couple weeks away from Fourth of July, so we're almost middle way through here. Anything they should be looking out for specifically? um you know,
7: I guess increased traffic in that Memphis area um you know there's there's ways around around the Memphis area, mm-hmm. um but there's significant mileage uh, in between there um, you know some of the major i guess warehouses ag warehouses uh are in memphis you know helena chemical they're in memphis um and so you could start seeing as as these replants start you could start seeing that uh most of those warehouses are having trouble getting chemical over when making timely sprays making timely fertilizer applications timely Mm -hmm. seed um so you know so there there could be some challenges there but uh, for the main part, I, I would say it would, it would be the traffic and trying to keep those grain trucks out of that traffic, to where it's a, a major, major liability there.
6: Yeah, those. I guess those grain trucks don't really travel through traffic jams very often, do they?
7: Uh, they try to probably stay out of them as fast <laughs> as possible and get them turned around.
6: <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet you're right. That's certainly been an interesting, interesting uh, beginning to summer over there. Okay, so aside from traffic. Uh, we talked. You, you mentioned a little bit earlier about consumer impacts, and I think that's interesting. Are there are there any any consumer impacts specifically that are sticking out for you that 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 maybe we should you know kind of cover?
7: Um, you know some some consumer impacts that that I've seen personally is um, if you go and look at you know you um, there's some different aspects of it, but you start looking at take uh, uh, car lots. Uh, you start seeing those, and there's about two or three cars sitting on a major lot here where there's hundreds of thousands of cars. Um, you take a look at your sporting goods stores. Most of those goods are com- coming out of China, um, and their shelves are starting to run empty. Uh, you're starting to see some of the sizes of shirts and some of the sizes of pants and uh, of just a few things to to kind of look at to where it's like, man, that's that's really <laughs> – like I can't find a shirt to fi- to fit. Maybe either I should lose weight or go somewhere else. So, <laughs> that's,
6: you know, it's an interesting point. I did notice I drove by a car lot the other day, and I think they had taken to parking the vehicles sideways as to take up more space in the lot.
7: Yeah, they're not going to ding the doors on any of them.
6: <laughs> well, uh, that's 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 great. It's very helpful. Is there anything else uh, that you can think of that we should cover before we wrap up?
7: Um. Uh, I, I don't really have anything else to to cover you know the flooding in South Arkansas. I think some of this is gonna put a put a stress on on getting some of those inputs in um, mm-hmm. you know a lot of people are looking at replanting maybe I've heard numbers all the way to twenty percent of the of the beans in um in southern Arkansas are gonna have to get replanted mm-hmm. hopefully uh they don't have to cross any of those river bridges other than the one at Greenville so uh and come over with, with those replanted beans. So,
6: yeah. So you bring up a, a point. So trivia time, uh, what are the river crossings um, in Arkansas? Um,
7: in Arkansas, you have, there's two at Memphis, one's closed, <laughs> uh, one in Helena and then one down around Lake village and Greenville. Um, other than that, out of the state, uh, there's one, I guess, in Vicksburg. Mm-hmm. And then there's another one in, up in uh, Caruthersville in the southeastern part of Missouri.
6: Yeah, so if you're trying to get to Memphis for dinner or an Ikea trip, you're going to be taking a pretty big detour.
7: Yeah, if you're trying to get to Memphis uh, for a dinner trip, you might want to leave around 12 so you can possibly get there by dinner. (laughs) Pack a
6: snack. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Mark. I appreciate you joining us today Uh, to catch up on the River Bridge Mississippi River Bridge closure. Uh, we will continue to track this through the summer, just as we have probably come back next, next month and, uh, check on, um, the process of phase two and, and what, as we look and move forward to, uh, harvest. So appreciate you being here today with us on the Arkansas AgCast. Thanks, Jason.
2: Finally, Keith Sutton checks in with Rebecca Simon of the University of Arkansas Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service about what farmers and ranchers can do to avoid overheating and heat related illnesses this summer.
0: Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today I'm visiting with Rebecca Simon with the Cooperative Extension Service at the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture where uh, Rebecca is a program associate for early childhood and family life. Welcome to AgCast, Rebecca.
8: Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. We, to see it with
0: you, that's right. We uh, it's been a while since we had a chance to visit, but uh, I thought about you as our weather started getting hot because uh, you've helped us previously to kind of get the word out to our farmers and other folks that it's that time of year you got to start using some care being outdoors uh, to avoid heat-related illnesses. So that's kind of what we want to talk about today.
8: Well, it was kind of funny that whenever you reached out to me, um, I had, over the weekend, we had been outside, we're setting posts for um, fences for a corral, or gates for a corral that we're building, and I thought, I need to refer back to that video. It's, oh, it's been almost a year since we did that, so yes. um, it was kind of timely whenever you reached out, but yes, so farmers, because of the nature of their profession, spend a lot of time outdoors in all types of weather, especially in the summer. Um, and humidity is a big deal in Arkansas, and you know it seemed like somebody turned the oven up last weekend, yes, last Friday and definitely. Saturday. Um, so, but while the sun helps, you know, helps grow the grow the grass and sustain the crops, um, the the heat can cause potentially life threatening illness. So, to protect farmers, um, we should all be familiar with the different heat related illnesses, prevention steps, and Possibly medical responses to those heat stress.
0: Well, we we want to kind of start out maybe talking about some risk factors. There's there's certain people that might be at more risk for for having heat related illnesses than others. And uh, what are some of those, Rebecca?
8: Well, you've got your older population. Um, uh, that's infants. me. It's me to a certain extent as well. but um, you've got infants, individuals with certain medical conditions such as cardiova- or circulatory or heart problems or pregnancy, um, individuals who are um, who've consumed alcohol or drugs, individuals with lower heat tolerance level or those who have not been fully acclimated to working in the heat. And I feel like that that's a really, um, really big issue right there is that, you know, my husband has been out in the heat quite a bit and he knows what to do to keep himself safe. But I've not been out as much as he has in the heat during the middle of the day. And so on Saturday, I had to be very careful about Uh, making sure that I drink enough water. So I would say that I am someone who is at risk because I've not acclimated myself yet to the heat 110%.
0: And you mentioned, excuse me, you mentioned alcohol and drugs. Uh, We're not just talking about uh, illegal drugs there. We're also talking about prescription medications. A lot of us Correct. Take Some of those yes. uh, cause issues for people. And I guess they should uh, kind of check their pharmacy information about the drugs they're taking.
8: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I would also, you know, when they get a chance to speak with their doctor at a regular checkup even, and just to also pay attention to what's on that bottle. Like if it does say stay out of direct sunlight or heat exposure, Um, Then I think that that's important as well. Um, Another other individuals who are also at risk is um, those who do not take in, you know, adequate adequate fluid intake or, um, you know, workers competing, completing jobs in areas that have been with limited airflow, Um, you know, those that are possibly in, you know, an inside a facility that doesn't have adequate airflow I think about maybe um, chicken houses or hog houses right. where there are there is ventilation I mean there's airflow but is it adequate enough to keep you safe
0: I saw some guys last week working in grain bins uh, they were <clears throat> they were loading out uh, some grain onto trucks and uh, just being in those grain bins must have raised the temperature 20 25 degrees for them
8: oh my goodness yes.
0: So there's all kind of things we've got to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about some of the heat-related illnesses and how those differ. I know there's at least five different kinds we want to talk about, and Mm -hmm. maybe uh, we'll start with the, the, the bottom of the list that's not quite as serious as the others, but all of these are things we need to pay attention to, right?
8: Yes. So that would be um, heat rash. So, you know, we've seen heat rash in small children, but it can happen to anyone. So heat rash is caused from excessive sweating during humid weather when the sweat fails to evaporate from the skin and clogs the pores. So the most common symptoms of heat rash include red blotchy skin or areas of pimples or small blisters. So if severe, heat rash could develop into an infection. So to prevent heat rash, wear clothing made from cool, breathable, material and they've come a long way with that like there's a lot of there's a lot of um, apparel and clothing that you can buy now for that's breathable that you know is will help you during the summer months Um, such as cotton I mean that's always a staple but there's other things but keep your skin dry Um, if heat rash does develop keep the area dry treat it with cornstarch and work in a cooler less humid area if you can
0: yeah sure and it's not always easy to to move from that hot spot out to a place where it's cooler, but if you can, that's an easy way to lessen the symptoms from some of these. The mm-hmm. next one I wasn't quite as familiar with. It's called heat syncope. Can you talk about it a little?
8: Well, it's um, essentially it's fainting, so it affects people who aren't used to working in the heat or people who sit or stand for long periods of time. So. Um, it it is caused when the blood pumps warm blood to the skin surface to remove heat via conduction, radiation, and convection. So if a person remains sedentary, blood may pool in the lower body, reducing blood flow to the brain, and that causes fainting. Um, it isn't serious, but I mean, any so, but can be very scary to the victim or cause secondary injuries from falling. Like if they do experience that heat syncope, they could pass out. Uh, or they do pass out, but when they do pass out, they could hit their head. So you don't want that. I mean, you, you would. There's other chances for injury.
0: And if somebody were to uh, show these symptoms, what would be, what should I do if I were there? Uh, I, I'm sure it'd be kind of scary if somebody's <laughs> falling out and fainting because they're gotten, they've gotten mm-hmm. hot. Uh, what would you recommend that we do for that person?
8: Um, obviously you want to try to stay calm, um, and that would be hard for me to do even so, but you want to get that person to a cool place, have them lie down, elevate their feet, uh, to facilitate blood recirculation to the heart and brain and provide liquids to drink. And I would, you know, it does suggest that you consult a doctor. So, um,
0: all those things together. Try to do all those things, and mm-hmm. and the word is syncope instead of syncope. I got that wrong. Uh, that's okay. the first I've heard of it. The next one is uh, heat cramps, and a lot of us have experienced heat cramps, uh, and you know that's kind of scary sometimes too because it it really hurts when you start getting those. But it's a symptom that it's time to slow down a little bit and uh, follow some advice that you're about to give.
8: Yes. So heat cramps, they usually affect the stomach arms or legs and can be excruciatingly painful. And if you've had a heat cramp, which I'm sure you have, I've had heat cramps before. It is, it's no joke. Like it is painful. Um, these are caused by loss of body fluids and electrolytes from sweating, uh, which can upset the body's chemical balance. So, uh, to treat them, you want to drink lots of water and massage the affected muscles. Do not eat salt tablets um, because too much salt in your system may aggravate the heat illness. High salt intake causes the body to retain water instead of sweating it away. So, um, but I think definitely the biggest thing is to hydrate to get those fluids, but also like to work that cramp out. Um, you would have to, you know, massage that muscle, whether that's your calf muscle or, um, that's where I usually get them, and so yes, stretching the foot, extending it all the way out, that usually helps. But those are, I mean, you never, you'll never forget a, a cramp That's in your right. leg or another, yeah.
0: And and it's, uh, I guess, it's Mother Nature's way of telling us, hey, you need to slow down here and go <laughs> hydrate and uh, take a minute to cool off, uh, and and don't get into a more serious situation. So the next one we'll talk about, this one's starting to get a little more serious here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Heat exhaustion.
8: Yes. So heat exhaustion is caused by loss of body fluids and salts from sweating and decreased blood flow to the brain and other organs. So symptoms for heat exhaustion um, include cool, pale, clammy skin, uh, dizziness, you may experience headaches, cramps, Nausea or vomiting and weakness, overall weakness, uh, confusion, or even unconsciousness. Um, my dad, whenever he was bailing hay many years ago, I remember this as a kid, he experienced some form of heat exhaustion. Um, he you know, had a lot of these symptoms. And again, after that, he was never quite able to handle the heat yes. after that, like extreme bouts of heat. So it, I mean, it wipes you out right then. But there are um, you can you can feel the effects of it for many years.
0: Wow! And if this happens again, it's time to call for some medical attention, probably.
8: Yes, yes, that's correct. So, whenever to treat heat exhaustion, it's recommended that you move uh, that person to a cool, dry place, like you know you would with um, heat syncope. Remove any excess clothing, uh, elevate their feet, and call for emergency medical treatment. and if if that person is able to drink, give them plenty of cool fluids while waiting for help to arrive.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the keys to that word cool. It helps uh, Mm -hmm. if the beverage or or the water is is cool, to cool them down. Mm -hmm. And then we get to uh, the number five, uh, heat-related illness, and this one can be extremely serious if it's not handled properly, and that's heat stroke, and it's just a little different than heat exhaustion.
8: Correct. So heat stroke is whenever there's a complete failure of the body's temperature regulating mechanisms um, and is a medical emergency. So symptoms for heat stroke, you're going to have hot dry skin instead of, you know, with heat exhaustion, it's cool and clammy and pale skin. With heat stroke, you're going to have the hot dry skin, you're going to have a temperature of 105 degrees or higher at this point. And that's extremely dangerous. You know, you never want to get to that point. You're going to have, there's going to be confusion, um, anger. You might see some aggression, um, chills, nausea, dizziness, unconsciousness. So I believe with the, you know, with the heat exhaustion, again, going back to that, you're going to see, you're not going to see this, but with heat stroke, you're going to see that unconsciousness, possibly convulsions, uh, delirium. So in most severe cases, that person can become comatose. So if it's not treated immediately, heat stroke can be fatal. So this is the one you never want to get to. Like you want to take all those steps to prevent getting to heat stroke.
0: Well, and again, it's time to call for some medical assistance. If Mm -hmm. you feel like somebody's in this situation and move them to a cool place and Mm -hmm. Elevate their head and shoulders, uh, it says, and again, remove outer clothing and try to cool their body with water or wet towels or sheets, something to help get them cooled down as quickly as possible.
8: And it does say here, like, do not give the victim or that person anything to drink. So, you know, with heat exhaustion, you want to try to cool them, hydrate them. But with heat stroke, you don't want to give them anything to drink. You just want to try to um, externally, decrease that temperature through um, you know immersing them in water, spun cool sponges, things like that. So that's really the you know the the course of treatment, or you know whenever someone is experiencing heat stroke before, obviously before medical help arrives.
0: Right. Well, and uh, that's a, a real good synopsis of these five types of heat related illness. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do up front, some of the steps we can take to be sure we don't find ourselves in one of these situations.
8: Absolutely. So I would say that, you know, the number one thing that you just need to be doing is hydrating, drinking. Um, It does say to drink approximately eight ounces, one cup of water, which is one cup of water every 15 to 30 minutes. Um, The biggest thing is do not wait until you're thirsty. On Saturday, when we were out there setting those posts, we were, we were stopping and taking a drink break every 15 minutes, whether we wanted it, whether we wanted to or not. And we were also remaining in a cool shaded place whenever we were trying to do as much in the shade as we could. But, um, I, I bring like gallon jugs that we keep in the refrigerator. I bring them and put them in a cooler and we we have like three gallons of water, cooler water that we keep in a, that we keep in a, in a free or in a, a cooler. And that's what we, you know, we drink out of, um, Each, each person had their own, had their own gallon. So, um, but yes, definitely the eight ounces of water, you want to avoid caffeine, alcohol or drugs. And, you know, again, with the prescription, make sure that you're, you're safe to do anything while you're on that prescription drug, um, or large amounts of sugar because they can speed up the dehydration process. Um, you also want to wear lightweight or loose fitting clothing and light colors that reflect sunlight. I was wearing black pants and I remember my daughter was (laughs) like, You're not supposed to, you know, like, don't you have any light colored pants that you can wear? them like, I do. I just put these on and, you know, that was, you know, all that I had that day to wear really. So, um, but you want to save any of your strenuous work for cool times of the day, such as early in the morning or evening. So whenever we were setting these posts, we would go out there or any, or even whenever we move our cattle or we work cattle, we work them in the morning. Because you don't want to put stress on the cattle, but obviously you don't want to put stress on yourself. Right. Um, and then p- pace yourself and take fifteen minute breaks in the shade every two hours if you can. Um, I know that my husband likes to pick a time, you know, that he'll come in during the day, and it's called his, you know, his rest time. If that's even possible for somebody like my husband, <laughs> who's a very work oriented person. But he knows he has to do that during the summer um, and during this heat and then gradually adjust to working in the heat. You can't just right. go out there. Acclimation is a big part of preventing um, heat related illness. Um, check your prescription and over the counter medications to determine if there are any side effects when exposed to the heat. We've talked yep. about that a couple times and then um, talk to your health, talk to your physician if you have a chronic health condition to obtain any special recommendations for working in hot and humid environments. Right. Um. So, and another, another thing is education and prevention are key. So yeah. if you, you know, if you are a farmer and you have work and you, you know, have employees or you have workers, just be sure to, you know, educate them and, you know, make sure that they're staying hydrated, that they're dressing appropriately and that they're taking the breaks that are needed.
0: Hopefully, uh, we can help in that regard. Maybe uh, mm-hmm. if you're a farmer out there and listening, uh, we mm-hmm. hope you'll take time to share this podcast with the folks that work with you. Uh, be sure they know what they need to do. It's it's easy to listen to it and forget that we need to share with uh, with all our employees too so they'll know mm-hmm. what to do. Uh, but all of this is really good information, Rebecca, and uh, it's always uh, – uh, a pleasure working with you to get the information out there because if we can prevent even one person from dealing with these type of issues, that'll be great, and I'm, I'm sure this will help. Yes. Well, we'll look forward to visiting with you again someday in the near future, and maybe uh, we'll have a different topic uh, we can share with folks, but thank you for taking time today, Rebecca, to be with us on AgCast.
8: Well, you're very welcome, and I hope that the farmers in Arkansas stay safe this summer.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much.
2: That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more stories and news about Arkansas agriculture.